This, standing next to me, this fine-looking couple right here, this is Lance and this is Elle. Lance is our new youth pastor that will be starting two weeks from today. Uh, he's already here, he's already helping out, and he's getting to know the kids, and they are getting to know him, but uh, we want to introduce them to you this morning, and we're going to give Lance an opportunity to share a little bit about them. Good morning, church. How are y'all? So I'm Lance. This is my wife, Elle. We're both from Clovis, New Mexico. We've been married for about nine months now, since last July. Uh, we're thankful and grateful to be here, for sure. I'm finishing up my education at WT. I'll finish up in the next two weeks. And my wife is an x-ray technologist in Dimmit at Plains Memorial Hospital. So once again, we're thankful to be here. And ultimately, we're thankful that God brought us here to the Living Water family. So we're looking forward to getting to meeting new family and joining in with y'all. Thank y'all. Thank you very much. If you haven't had the opportunity to get to know Lance and Elle, please introduce yourselves to them and get to know them. They're a great couple, and uh, they're going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to seeing how God's going to use them in the days ahead. All right, in John chapter 8, today we're going to be looking at Jesus' response to cancel culture. Now, I'm certain by now that most of you, if not all of you, have heard the name Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. Mike Lindell is the guy who invented the My Pillow. So help me out here. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com, right? So we've heard his commercials, we've seen the advertisements, commercials pretty catchy, and because of all the commercials, he was able to get his name out there, and he became very popular, and his product became very popular. How many of you slept on a MyPillow last night? All right, several of you. So MyPillow uh, was very uh, much out there in the public, but very quickly over the past year, things began to change for Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell became a very strong and vocal supporter of President Trump, and people began to turn on the MyPillow guy. And not only did he become vocal for President Trump, but after the election, he became very vocal about what he thought there to be voter fraud. And he began to put things out there, and more people began to turn on him. And then the cancel culture mob decided that it was time to put the MyPillow guy to sleep forever. They did not agree with what he thought. They did not agree with his agenda. And his agenda didn't line up with their agenda. So they thought it was time to take care of Mike Lindell and to silence him. But not only just to silence him, they are out to destroy him and everything that he has and what he's about. Now, I don't know about you, but... I always wonder who this cancel culture is. Who is it that all of a sudden is deciding what I can buy and what I can't buy? Who is it that's all of a sudden deciding what I can read and what I can't read? Who is it all of a sudden that is deciding that uh, Dr. Seuss and Pepe Le Pew are wrong, and yet all the trash and filth that they approve of is perfectly fine? Who is it out there that's making these kind of judgments and decisions for us. 
Well, when they started coming after Mike Lindell, the network started dropping his commercials. Facebook and Twitter said, you can't use our platforms anymore. And the cancel culture mob started bashing my pillow guy and anyone who would support the my pillow by purchasing one of his products why because he stood for something that they didn't agree with he stood for something that went against what they stood for when you think of cancel culture i think we need to understand who cancel culture is or at least what the definition is of cancel culture Cancel culture is basically groups of people shaming someone for something that was either said or done and that something they don't agree with until the offender is ultimately destroyed. Now, this is a very scary thing if it's continued to go on because most of the time, the majority, if not all of those that get involved, have not researched what is actually true And not only have they not researched what is actually true, but they really don't care what the truth really is. They just have their agenda. They have their motive. They know what they want to accomplish, and they will do anything they can to accomplish it. And we're certainly seeing that exponentially in our world today. We see this against political leaders. We see this against business owners. We even see it against religious leaders. And what we are beginning to see more and more is that people are making decisions based on not what truth is, based not what on what the best decision is, but people are beginning to make decisions based on what cancel culture is going to think and what they're going to do. And that is never the right thing to do. People are confused. People are looking and they say, I don't want them coming after me for my beliefs or my thoughts. How is it that our world has become so messed up in this area? And how should we, as followers of Christ, respond when this is happening around us? Well, in order for us to know how to respond and to respond in the right way, we need to look at how Jesus responded to the cancel culture in his day. You see, you need to understand that cancel culture is not anything new. Cancel culture has been around for a long time, and Jesus faced it even in his day. And the story that we're going to look at today, we see the cancel culture group of his day coming after him because they did not like who he was. And they did not like what he stood for. And they did not like the things that he was doing. So they had it in their mind that the only thing that we can do to stop him is to destroy him. So look with me, if you would, at John Chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, said, Then each one went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, This woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. The cancel culture in Jesus' day that we see in this story was the religious leaders. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, loved their power and they loved their authority that they placed upon themselves. And they sought to cancel out anyone who would come up against them. Anyone who would stand against what they thought, what they believed. He would stand up against them and they would not like it. They would want to take him out. And that's exactly what we see in this story. Jesus was a threat to these religious leaders. He was good at calling them out. Jesus was good at pointing out their motives. And he exposed the hypocrisy in their hearts. And they did not like it. So they came up with this scheme. They came up with this plan that they would use to trap Jesus. Now keep in mind as we go through this story today that this woman was really not their issue. This woman and the sin that she committed was really not what they were after at all. They were after Jesus. They wanted to cancel out Jesus so that he would not be a problem for them anymore. So they brought this woman that was caught in adultery to trap him. And I think it is interesting that there were so many things wrong in this story here, so many things wrong in their little scheme that Jesus could have focused on. For example, the law required both the man and the woman to be judged. So where was the man? They didn't bother to bring the man. They just brought the woman before Jesus. And the law stated that the eyewitness had to give testimony. And if the eyewitness was found credible then the woman could be stoned at that point. And the one that would stone her, the one that would throw the first stone, would be the eyewitness that actually testified against her. But none of this was happening in this story. Why? Because they didn't care about the truth. They didn't care about the details. They weren't concerned about this woman. They were just concerned about trapping Jesus. But little did they know that their little scheme was going to backfire on them. Cancel culture today is no different. Cancel culture comes with stones ready to destroy without being concerned about the details, without being concerned about the truth. But I want you to notice in this story how Jesus turns everything around. How Jesus turns the story around and takes what they were planning for evil and Jesus turns it into good. The Pharisees were focused on the sin of this woman. But Jesus was focused on her. They were just focused on her actions. They didn't care anything about her. And Jesus was focused on her more than her actions. And we see that, and we're going to see that as we continue through this story as we start to break this apart this morning. So there are several things that I want us to take note of. The first thing is this. Cancel culture wants to condemn the sinner, but Jesus wants to cleanse the sinner. 
At first glance, this woman has no hope. At first glance, this woman has no future. At first glance, this woman is here before everyone else. And there's no way that she can get out of the scenario that she is in. This woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. She has been brought to the center of attention and her sin has been laid out for all to see. Can you imagine how embarrassing this must have been for this woman at this moment? Can you imagine the weight that she must have felt because of the guilt, because of the embarrassment, because of everything that goes along with what was happening to her this day? Can you imagine what it was like for her to stand before everyone and her sin to be exposed to everyone? Can you imagine? She's probably standing there with her head down, can't even look up because of the guilt and the shame that she feels at that moment. Can you imagine what it would be like for you to be drugged through the streets and to be brought to this place this morning? to be marched down this middle aisle, to be brought right up here on the stage and for your sins that you've just committed this week to be put out in front of everybody. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be and the heavy load that that would place upon you, the weight of that sin and that guilt that would be upon you? David in Psalms 38.4 says this. He says, For my iniquities have gone over my head, like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Do you think on this day that the load of guilt and shame that was on this woman were too heavy for her to bear? As she stood there in the center of the room, as she stood there waiting for her faith that day. But David is simply saying in that passage that the guilt of my sin is too heavy for me to hold up. The weight of my guilt is more than I can handle. I wonder today, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt so guilty because of the mistakes you've made and the sins that you've committed? Have you ever felt like they're just holding over your head and the weight of them you can't bear anymore? Have you ever felt like you're such a failure, such a mistake? Even after we come to know Christ, sometimes we feel that way because even followers of Christ mess up, don't we? Even followers of Christ, we're not perfect people. Any perfect people here today? Anybody? All right. So we're all on the same page. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We still sin. And sometimes the weight of that sin, the guilt that comes with it, is sometimes too heavy for us to bear. There's problems with guilt in our life, a couple things. We all have plenty of it, number one. We all have plenty of reason to feel guilty. We are all imperfect and flawed people. We all make mistakes. Romans 3.23 reminds us of that, that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And I'm going to prove it. How many of you have sinned at least once this past week? How about this morning? I got you while your hands were still up. All right? We, we all do. And for us to ever sit back and say, oh, not me. I, I'm perfect now. We would be lying to ourselves and we would be lying to others, but don't worry, other people know you and they wouldn't believe you. So it would just be more lying to yourself. So we all have plenty of reason to feel guilty. But secondly, we also can't get away from that guilt. It's on our mind. Even if we go to a new location, even if we try something new, we can't get away from that guilt. And the reason that we can't get away with that guilt is God has given us a conscience. 
In Proverbs 20, 27, the Bible says, The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Notice that it doesn't say we can't hide from our mistakes and our sins. It says we can't hide from ourselves. We can't bury it. We can't cover it up. We must deal with it because it is right there in front of us all the time. So how do we deal with it? Well, sometimes we try to deal with it by doing religious stuff. So we come to church on Sunday morning. We sing the praise songs. We, we listen to the sermon. Uh, maybe we greet at the door. Maybe we uh, hug somebody's neck and we love on people and we encourage others. And we go through all those different things. We give our tithes, we give to the poor, we help the sick, we help the needy. We do all these things only to find out that the weight of that sin, the weight of that guilt is still there. Why is that? The reason is because there's nothing religious that we can do that will take that guilt away. Only Jesus can remove the guilt. Maybe we try all the different self-help things that are out there in our world. And there's a bunch of them. Uh, go home today and just Google how to get rid of guilt in your life. And you'll find all kinds of stuff to try. And you can try all of those different things and you can do all the different methods that are out there and all these new self-help techniques that people are trying only to find that it does not last. It does not take the guilt away. And the reason is, is because only Jesus can take that guilt away. Only Jesus can do that. So what is the answer? How do we deal with the sin and the guilt and the shame that comes with it? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Took you a while to get there, but I'm glad you finally asked the question. Here's how we give it to Jesus. All right, that's a great answer. We just give it to Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, in 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, we've all confessed that we all have sin. And so in verse 9 it says, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cancel culture wants to condemn. Jesus wants to cleanse. And when he cleanses us, he cleanses us from all all unrighteousness. So what do we do? We don't hide it. We don't deny it. We confess it. And when we confess it, we can have confidence in knowing that if we are followers of Christ, that that sin has been forgiven and not just forgiven, but we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. That means in entirety, everything about us cleansed, cleansed. Have you ever looked in the mirror when you got home one day and just sitting there looking in the mirror and you notice that you have a big nasty stain on your shirt. Anybody else that happened to besides me? Oh, just me. Well, it was me in the morning crowd. They all had the same problem. So we, we do that. We go home, we look, and we're like, man. Then we start going through our mind. Where all was I at today with that big old stain right there? Who all saw me with that stain on my shirt? So we, we take the shirt off and we clean it up and we try to get the stain out and we wash it. We pull it out of the washer and we look at, oh yeah, that looks great. 
So the next time that we wear the shirt, we think that the stain's all gone and we go out and we do whatever it is that we do and we come home and we look in the mirror and there that stinking stain is right back and now it is bigger than it was before. And I've been out all day long with everybody noticing that big old stain on my shirt. Know what I mean? Yeah, it's happened. How does that stain always get right in the same place on every shirt? I have to confess, this morning I got a shirt that I liked, and it's a black shirt, and I was going to wear it, and I went and put it on, and I'm making sure that the collar's buttoned, and I noticed in the mirror that there was a big old stain. It just came from the cleaners. How did the cleaners get that stain on my shirt? Big old stain. I started to wear it just to make my point this morning, because you'd been able to see it from the back row, but I decided not to, because my wife wouldn't have liked that if I wore that shirt. But it happens, and that's what happens in our life when we try to cover up sin ourselves. Oh, we think we may have it covered up. But then all of a sudden, there it is again, and it's right in front of us, bigger than it ever was before. Because we cannot clean it up on our own. We cannot deal with it on our own. We have to take it to Jesus, and when we take it to Jesus, he's the one that cleanses all of our unrighteousness. He takes away the stain where where we can stand clean before him. Cleanse through Christ. Psalms 103 verses 11 and 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. How far? As far as the east is from the west. Have you ever noticed that the east and the west never meet? It just keeps going. There is no end to the east and the west. And that is how far he removes our sins and our transgressions from us. And that is great news for us today, church. We don't have to live a life of guilt. We don't have to live a life of shame. We can have a life of freedom knowing that our sins and our failures have been washed clean through the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Cancel culture wants to condemn Christ wants to cleanse. But not only that, cancel culture wants to destroy lives, but Jesus wants to restore lives. As far as these men were concerned, when they brought this woman to Jesus, she needed to be destroyed. She, had been, she needed to die for her actions. She needed to face the consequences of her actions. But notice what Jesus does. They come to Jesus and they say, we've caught this woman in adultery. And they pointed out that according to the law of Moses, we are to stone this woman. And Jesus doesn't respond and he just kneels down and he begins to to ride in the sand. And they keep on, they keep on pleading the case of how this woman that has been caught in this terrible sin needs to be destroyed. And finally, Jesus stands up and he looks at them and he says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. And he kneels down and he begins to write some more. Now there's been a lot of discussion over the years of what exactly did Jesus write in the sand. And we'd love to know the answer to that question, wouldn't we? But the reality is if what he wrote in the sand was important enough for us to know, it would have been written there. And we would know exactly what he wrote. But here's what we do know. 
that when Jesus was riding in the stand and, sand, and when he looked up at them and said, the one without sin cast the first stone, something began to happen to these Pharisees and these Sadducees. And because of the conviction that they felt, they began to leave one at a time, starting with the older men. And they left. Why did they leave? Because whatever it was was getting to them. Jesus was getting to them. And again, that's why they did not like Jesus because he always had a way of getting to them. He always had a way of getting to what was really in the heart, what was really the problem. And what the problem was that day with these Pharisees and these Sadducees was a heart condition with them. And they did not like Jesus and they were going after him. He was looking at their heart. And what did they do? They fled. And Jesus stood up and he looked at the woman. And he said, woman, who condemns you? Now this is a very important part of this passage. A part that we need to understand. When he looks at her and he says, woman, that was not degrading her in any way. That was not tearing her down in any way. It was actually doing the opposite. When he stood up, notice he didn't say, adulterous woman. You sinful woman, he just says woman. And that was the beginning of her restoration. And he said, who condemns you? And she looked around and said, there's no one here to condemn me. And he says, I condemn you neither. I don't condemn you. He was looking at her. He saw her for who she was. He saw her value. He saw that this was a woman who needed to be loved, that this was a woman who needed salvation in her life. And he says, I do not condemn you, so go and sin no more. Can you imagine what this moment must have been like for this woman? Here she was in in the center stage, her sin being laid out for everyone, and all eyes are on her, and she probably couldn't even look up, as I said a while ago, but now she is looking in the eyes of a compassionate Jesus who says, I don't condemn you either what a beautiful reminder of John three seventeen. that says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved this woman stood and looked at the eyes of Jesus and knew love probably for the first time but knew that there was no condemnation in him you see this woman had been left there all alone her partner in crime was long gone her family was nowhere to be found there wasn't a friend in sight except for one and his name is Jesus it is only Jesus that can restore our lives that are messed up because of sin and how does he do this he does this through grace and mercy Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Dead in our transgressions but made alive. This woman who was dead in her sin was made alive this day when Christ restored her and made her new. Now today, I don't know what your past may be. I don't know how bad your sins may have been. But what I do know is that in Christ, you can be forgiven and you can be restored. 
Aren't you grateful that Christ not only forgives, but he restores today? I am so grateful for that in my life. And I know that this woman that day was very grateful for that. I know that she was ready and wanting her life to be restored, but at that moment she thought her life was over until Jesus stepped in. Until Jesus stepped in. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and everything is made new. That is restoration in Christ when all of our old sin, all of that old stuff has passed away and everything becomes new. And I got great news for us today. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, this isn't just for the non-believer when they come to Christ, but this is even for us even when we mess up along the way. So that sin that you committed yesterday And maybe you feel guilty over it today. If you will confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive that sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness and restore you today right back where he wants you to be. And that is some good news. He is in the restoration business, restoring us, making us new. Thirdly, the cancel culture convicts, but Jesus frees Cancel culture convicts, but Jesus frees. In verse 5, they are telling Jesus again that according to the law, Moses were commanded to stone such a woman. In their minds, she was already convicted, and they were ready to enforce the sentence that the law required. And in this case, the law required death. Did this woman deserve death if she was caught in this act? According to the law, absolutely yes. This woman deserved to be punished for her sin. But Jesus looks at her and he says, go and sin no more. How could he do this? How could he just ignore the sin and say, everything's okay, go and sin no more? Well, the reality is he did not ignore the sin. He took the sin. You see, she came to Jesus with sin on her, but she walked away with that sin transferred to him. He didn't just let it go like nothing had ever happened. He took that sin upon himself. She came in owing a debt that was going to cost her her very life, but she walked away with Jesus taking that debt, and he would take her place, and he would die for her sins. And the good news today is that's exactly what he has done for each one of us. That our sin has been transferred to him and he paid for that that price for our sin once and for all when he died upon that cross. Go and sin no more. Your sin has been taken care of. Your sin is being dealt with and I am going to take your punishment. I am going to die in your place so that you do not have to die. You go and you sin no more. And we look at this and say, well, you know, he commands her to go and sin. Well, this was a whole lot more than a command for her to do that day. It is much more than that. It is much more than just an order. It is a brand new opportunity for her. A brand new opportunity for you to go. And don't live that way anymore. But now you live a new life because now you are a new creation through Jesus Christ. So go and live your life differently. And it is only Jesus that has the power to make that possible. Jesus gave this woman a brand new start. 
He gave this woman a brand new start in life. And he gave her a new direction in life. And that day her life was changed, never to be the same again because of what Jesus did for her. But this new direction and this new life could have come no other way except through Jesus. You see, there's something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not realize when they brought this woman to Jesus that day. There's something in this story that maybe they just did not know or they didn't know Jesus well enough to know exactly what was going to happen. But what they did not realize is that lives are changed in the presence of Jesus. Oh, their scheme backfired. They didn't realize that when they brought this woman to Jesus and they laid her sin out, that her life was going to be changed that day. They didn't realize that Jesus had the power to make a huge difference in this woman's life that day. They didn't realize how Jesus was going to turn things around. And I'm so grateful today that Jesus has a way of turning things around. And that's exactly what he did in this story. So I want to ask you a couple of questions today. If we were to be honest in this place, where, where would we see ourselves in this story today? Well, all of us automatically ought to see ourselves in the place of this woman because, again, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, and each one of us should have to stand before him and our sins be exposed in the embarrassment and the pain that she Now, we can maybe see ourselves there, but there may be some today that you've come in, and today you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you come in today, and that weight of that sin is so heavy. The guilt is so much there that you can't hardly bear it. If that's you today, then I challenge you to look to Jesus and to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And today you can leave this place free of guilt. And you can leave this place cleansed, knowing that your life is different. You can leave going in a new direction and a new path. Some of us today, if we were really being honest, would have to say, you know, I'm kind of like one of those religious guys in this passage. And I, I'm looking at others and I'm seeing the sin of others and I'm going to be quick to point out how others are wrong and how others have made mistakes. I'm going to be quick to point that out and to look down on other people because of the mistakes that they make in their life. How do I know that some of us today, well... I see some of the Facebook posts. I hear some of the gossip. And quite honestly, sometimes I can get caught up in that trap as well. When people don't measure up, when they don't look the way we think they need to look, when they don't act the way that we think they need to act, sometimes even as followers of Christ, sometimes even in this place that ought to be a, a safe place for all of us, sometimes we can get caught up in that trap and we can look down upon others. How do we get away from that? How do we not do that? How do we look to the world like Christ looked? How can we deal with the cancel culture in our day? How can we deal with those that have fallen short today? How can we live a life that makes a difference today? And I think the only way that we can do that is to see others the way that Christ saw others. And again, to look at people like this, when this woman was brought before Christ, the sin was there. Christ saw the sin, but he didn't see that above her, and he loved her and had compassion for her. 
and he reached out to her. What would it be like today if the church were to have the same eyes for people that Jesus has? What would it be like today if the church had the same compassion for others that Jesus has? What would it be like today if we showed the same kind of love, the same kind of forgiveness, and the same kind of restoration today that Jesus had? What would it be like today if the church truly was the cancel culture that looked at people and says, because of Christ in you, you have been forgiven, and God can forgive you. Certainly, I can forgive you. And we love people the way that Christ loved people, and we restore people the way that Christ restored people. How do we deal with the cancel culture in our day is to remember that not only does God love us, but God loves the entire world so much that he gave himself for the world, not just for us, but for everyone. And we are to love people and let the love of Christ flow through us and to see people restored in their relationship with him. That's how we should respond. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. I want to ask you this question. Maybe today you've come in and you have that guilt that I was talking about. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then I challenge you today, if God is speaking to your heart, right where you're at, would you just open up your heart to him and allow him to be the Lord and Savior of your life? He knows everything that you have done. He knows everything that we have all done. And yet he still gave his life for us so that through him we could have life. Today, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, today open up your heart to him and experience this life that he offers. For believers today, let's take a moment just to examine our own selves, to ask that question, God, where do we fit into this story? And God, what can we do differently? And allow God to speak to our hearts today and Let's respond to him as he leads us this morning. God, I thank you for this story. Thank you for the reminder through this story of how much you love each and every one of us. God, I thank you that in this story we see that even though that sin is heavy and the guilt that comes with it sometimes is overbearing, that God, you look at us and you say, I don't condemn you. And you offer us freedom. You offer us hope through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for us. So, God, right now I pray for each one of us. God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that right now you're, you would just speak to their hearts. You would draw them unto yourself. And, God, maybe even for some, the first time today, that they would feel what true love is. God, I pray that you would help us as believers in our world today that we would be a light that shines in the darkness, that people would see your love through us, they would see your forgiveness through us, and they would see the hope that we have in you. And they would, too, be drawn to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.